So I'm calling, I'm calling this talk tonight, My Human Condition. I usually talk about the human condition, but I decided I'd talk about my human condition. Although, you know, most of the time that's what we talk about anyway, because it's our experience um, that we're sharing. The Buddha's teachings are um, what have been handed down for 2,600 years, but how do we take those and utilize them in our lives so that they actually lead us towards liberation, lead us towards freedom. Um, and so that's really what it always is. And the Buddha was very explicit in describing the human condition. Um, I think you're probably all familiar with the story with that's often called the four heavenly messengers where he, you know, he lived a, 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 a a good life where he was kind of shielded from the realities of the world until in his, uh, you know, at some point he realized there's got to be more to it than this. And he went out and saw a, a sick person and an old person and a corpse, which he had never seen before somehow. I mean, a sick person or an old person, especially. Um, and in India, you know, corpses are much more... Um, they're not hidden away as they are here. In many cultures, they're not, you know, hidden off and prettied up. Um, people are much more familiar with that. So somehow, anyway, he was um, protected from these realities until he went out going, what's going on? And then he recognized that, you know, there is, after a lot of years of practice and studying with, with uh, teachers and, and going down different paths of study, aestheticism and such, he, he sat and he realized, um, you know, the nature of the, the, the challenges that we face, the nature of the human condition, so to speak. And, you know, his teaching on the Four Noble Truths really sums that up in the First Noble Truth. There is suffering. There is discontent. And he talked about birth and death and being separated from those things that we, that we care about. And this kind of has, has become what's known as the five remembrances, which um, uh, people, monastics, kind of uh, recite or chant every day. I am of the, of the nature to grow old, to get sick, to die. Everything that I have will be taken from me and all I have are my actions. And so to come face to face with this reality, the human condition is important. And we, um, so there is this dukkha, there is this dissatisfaction, there is this unsatisfactory quality to life. Last week I talked about anicca impermanence, which is one of the three characteristics of existence. And this week, you know, dukkha, there is this unsatisfactory flavor. But there is an extra level of suffering that we cause ourselves by wanting things to be lovely and groovy and sensually pleasing all the time. And so that, that was the Buddhist teaching. And his, basically, we need to recognize that and, and, and dis, um, let go of that extra level of clinging and suffering that we cause for ourselves. And, you know, and so how do we find our way through this? I was listening. I actually wasn't listening to the talk, but I, I, have, I like to go through sometimes um, different sites like Dharma Seed, that has a lot of Dharma talks and um, Audio Dharma, which is Gil Fransdell's, which is Insight 
um, meditation center up in Redwood City. They have a lot of talks and a lot of meditations, and I like to read the titles. Sometimes the titles just inspire me. And there was a title um, that Gil was doing a series, and he called it Finding Our Way, and finding our way through the, the, the vicissitudes of life, finding our way through the 10,000 joys, finding our way through the 10,000 sorrows, and that's really what we're doing here. As human beings, we're trying to find our way through the world as it shows up without this extra level of suffering that we can cause ourselves, this extra level of angst and, and craving and aversion and getting so caught up in the stories and the wants and the not wants and the hatreds and the emotions that not recognizing the emotions, we allow them to take over. So how do we move through how do we find our way? Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll just talk about what's... Um, and how do we find our way through it with equanimity? That's, that's the not being blown over by any of the things. And um, what's happening for me right now is my husband, bless his heart, for the last year he has been going through a whole bunch of health stuff. I mean, he, it's the gamut. Started last July 4th with pancreatitis, and then they found lung cancer, and then they did this, and then they found that, and he had surgery in April, and he had chemotherapy, and blah, 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 and he just had surgery today, the last one, um, and uh, he was in surgery for like eight and a half hours. For those of you who were here at the beginning of class, that phone call I got was the doctor who did the surgery said, he's out, everything's fine, la, 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 so that was good, um, but it's a slog. It's been a slog. And how do you find, how do you, how do I, since this is my human condition, <laughs> how does one find their way through this? You know, how do you find your way through the things that happen in life? And so I've, I've talked about this a lot. There's the, there's the very personal vicissitudes, the personal, um, joys and sorrows and then you know there's the societal joys and sorrows that are happening there's the world around us you know it, it expands outward you know we sometimes feel we're individual units and we have our own world but it's not we're so interconnected and we're impacted by everything that goes on whether we're aware of it or not we're impacted because we're really empathetic and we feel it or we're impacted because we're in denial and we don't want to feel it you know, those are, those are a couple of different avenues to go down. And as always, the invitation in this is to how do we be with all of it? How can we move through without um, being, being overwhelmed? And there's, a, there's one other thing or another thing that happened or a couple other things that... Um, Well, I had, a, I had a conversation with a friend today. I'm trying to figure out where I want to put this. I had, I had a conversation with a friend today who's going through some stuff, and she said um, she has been practicing. She's a, she's a long-term practitioner, and she's been sitting and, and looking and investigating and sitting and, and recognizing that she has her future view is all on the dukkha side. And nothing on the joy side. It's like she had no image of 
how to move through the world with joy or how to move through the world with that it wasn't just a hard scrabble existence even though that's not what her her reality is that's the that's the lens through which she was seeing things so it was everything was was challenging everything was difficult and so she when she recognized that she decided to make a shift and she she laughed and you know sometimes all it takes is an awareness and insight because this is insight practice that's what we're doing vipassana which is you know seeing things clearly and sometimes all it takes is that that shift in perspective to say oh it doesn't mean you change overnight but all of a sudden you're not just looking over here you can enlarge your view to say oh maybe i can start moving in a different direction and she started doing uh, kind of a, 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 a very personal meta practice. She didn't call it that, but that's, that's what I call it because I like to do it too. Finding those things that are most meaningful. So the things that she was so concerned about, she started creating um, some, some praises, uh, phrases to sit with in meditation. May I feel secure. You know, may I feel... Um, I can't remember what she said, but those types of things. May I feel safe? May I feel secure? I've gone through those places um, and done that for myself. May I feel loved? May I feel heard? So to start shifting the mind. And then a couple of other things. Um, in that same realm, I was thinking, the for some of you who know, um, uh, the longtime Dodger announcer Vin Scully passed away yesterday. And when you hear people talk about him, you hear nothing but what an amazing human being he was. He was so real. He was so down to earth. You felt really connected with him when, he, when he, you were with him. When, um, and just, uh, I'm sure somebody thinks he's garbage, but, you know, there's always somebody, but... You know, for the most part, overall, he was a genuinely warm and loving human being. And I was listening to this other, I was listening to a podcast today, uh, this Black Diamonds about the Negro Leagues, and they were talking about Buck O'Neill, who was, um, he kind of helped to found the uh, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and he died when, he just got in, um, into the Hall of Fame, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame last week. But he, he lived into his mid-90s, and he was, a, he was another one of those people that you never heard anyone say a bad word about. He would be out and about, and he'd walk up to you at an airport if you were sitting there, and he was sitting next to you, and he'd put out his hand and say, Hi, I'm Buck O'Neill. What's your name? And then they would talk. And, and so, again, the second really warm person who was able to have a deep connection with others. And I went, okay, there's there's something here. And obviously, they all didn't live charmed lives. Buck O'Neill was a black man in the Negro Leagues and, and suffered, you know, Jim Crow and and um, all the things that, that African Americans have had to suffer in this country over the last hundred and something years. Um, over the, excuse me, over the last several centuries, but the Jim Crow over the last hundred and something years and um, even to this day. And so, but still 
how do you go through all of that and come out with this sense of um, connection with other people and not landing in that place of dukkha, 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 the, the darkness, the harshness. And so, and then, because there's so much synchronicity, I'm on Rick, Rick Hansen's um, mailing list. Uh, I think it's called Just One Thing. And he sends out a weekly email. And I, I really love Rick Hansen. He, I think I, I mentioned him a lot. He's the one who wrote Buddha's Brain. He's a Buddhist teacher and a neuro evolutionary neuropsychologist. So he talks about the neuroscience of these practices. And his, um, his mail this week, his little newsletter blurb said, see what's likable. See what's likable. And in his book, Buddha's Brain, he has a chapter called Let in the Good. And he is actually the reason why I always invite you to practice a gratitude at the end of meditation because it has an absolutely beneficial impact on the brain. And that's what we're doing in meditation. We're shifting our perspective. We're beginning to see things a different way. We are conditioned to see X, Y, and Z, not knowing that there's in English, 23 other letters in the alphabet. You know, we're stuck on A, B, and C, or X, Y, and Z, or L, M, N, O, P, or whatever, and we, we neglect everything else. And so this is an invitation to turn towards. It's the Buddha's instructions. Let go of your preconceived ideas and be with what is. And in the... In the, in the um, in the Eightfold Path, which is the path to liberation, there's something called wise effort, which is to recognize when you're caught up in that thinking that doesn't serve you, that conditioned reactivity. Recognize that, be willing to let it go, and recognize what's beneficial. And this is where Rick is lovely. He keeps throwing these things that this is beneficial, this is beneficial, this is beneficial, because it has a a beneficial impact um, uh, on the brain. And he talks about see what's likable. I mean, we've, we all know there's pleasant things, there's unpleasant things, and there's neutral things. And the brain tracks all of these things. And when there's something pleasant, those the oxytocin, the natural opioids kick in. And so we want more, we want more. So if there's something unpleasant, ah, I hate that, hate that, want the good, want the good, ah, I'm chasing the, chasing the pleasant, pushing away the unpleasant. Because when there's unpleasant, it actually, there's a neural netro, network of pain that's activated. So we're running from the pain and chasing the pleasant. And so that's what happens. Um, and much of the time... And you probably see it in your own life with simple things. Much of the time, the pleasant and the unpleasant depend on what we pay attention to. You know, Some, it's like, I can't think of an example, but it's like, how come that, that didn't bother me for the last week, but today it bothers me? What changed? What shifted? Me, not the thing, not the noise, not the garbage truck, not the, not the leaf blowers, not the, not the news, not the, not the stuff that's going on. What changed that's, that make my reaction so different? You know? So to recognize that so much of it is what we pay attention to, which is why mindfulness is all about paying attention. 
Because if we don't pay attention, we, we get lost in the reactivity and those habits of chasing the pleasant, pushing away the unpleasant. And Rick says that we um, get used to people and things we like. And this is, this is true. And, um, and we take them for granted to a certain extent. And so there's this level of, of pleasantness. And it's like, I like you. I like my partner. I like the people I work with. I like this. But the reason I like them kind of falls to the background because I'm not paying attention to it. So what I start paying attention to is the stuff that pisses me off. And because I'm paying attention to the stuff that pisses me off, it tends to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, ah, how did you become so awful? And it happens with relationship, with jobs, with the world, with everything. It's not because we're not doing it intentionally. It's just how the mind operates. And we have to start becoming a... a, a aware of that and so we have to make an effort um there's a there's actually a story in the big book of alcoholics anonymous which talks about this guy who totally forgot about all the things he he loved with his wife and and he magnified the things he didn't like and totally forgot why he fell in love with her. And he, they talked about, I think he talked about getting a new pair of glasses so that he could look again and see the things he liked about her and not the things he didn't like about her. And that's what this is. We're not paying attention to what we like and we're paying attention to what we don't like. And it just causes this, this, um, this in, I don't know what the word is, this, this vicious cycle of trying to stop now, you know, getting angry or whatever we do about the unpleasant stuff and, and, and blowing it out of proportion and missing all the good stuff instead. And that doesn't lead to satisfaction. That just leads to this vicious cycle of samsara over and over again, chasing the pleasant, getting pissed at the unpleasant that gets in the way all equanimity is out the door. And so we have to begin to recognize what's likable. What did he say? Yeah, see what's likable. Shifting the perspective. Letting go of the aversion. Letting go of the story. And it's not living the world in rose-colored glasses. You know, but and it's not clinging to things. But it's actually paying attention to what we do like, you know, with no judgment. You know, it's like I laugh um, about uh, things, I, you know, since it's my human condition, I laugh about the things I, I would not allow myself to do or things I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing those shoes or whatever it is. I wouldn't be caught dead laughing at that in public because it's not cool. Even though there's no such thing as cool, we made that all up because we, you know, this is cool, this is not cool. When it depends on who you are and who you're with, the definition of cool changes and that's why there's no such thing as cool. Um, and now I don't care. A, I'm a lot older and I know it doesn't matter, so I'm grateful I'm older. But be this practice, because I know people who are older and still care very deeply about 
things like how they look or how they show up in the world, what other people think about them, trapped by those preconceived ideas, trapped by what the world says you should look like. There's a great book called... <laughs> Sonia Renee Taylor is the author. The Body is Not an Apology. And I read it a couple of years ago, and I gave a Dharma talk on it. It's not a Buddhist book, but it's absolutely fabulous how we are trapped by these ideas that society says we have to meet. And it's impossible to meet them because it's set by this, this very small number of people at the top of the ladder, and we're all climbing all over each other trying to get up there. And then things change, and it's like, oh, maybe you were close, but not quite enough. And anyway... So we're, we're, we're creating stories based on other people's decisions instead of really coming into a place of comfort and ease in our own bodies, in our own selves. It's so important. And so to just let go of that idea of cool, you know, um, let go of that idea of what should or shouldn't and just... What do what is likable in this moment? What is likable? We've retrained the mind. And and Rick is really fabulous at at coming up with things to do. And he said, pick something that you don't usually pay or pick something that you're paying attention to or that you see like a sunset or uh looking around the room, and then find something that you normally don't pay attention to to like. You know, like the 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 weeds over there or the spoon or that one spot that one color in the multicolored carpet you know and notice something you haven't noticed before that's pleasant you're cultivating that you're really shifting and we do it with people we have and we when we do this we begin to see how much power we have over what we like. We're not just trapped by reactivity and trapped by, trapped by these stories of mind, but we actually have some agency in how we move through the world. Um, we have the power with effort. So try it with people, people we like, people maybe we've forgotten why we like them, refocus and say oh I remember why I like you and the stuff that I don't like about you it's not worth it it's just you know re-examine and it's not 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 um dismissing harmful behaviors by any way shape or form it's not that at all but it's really kind of aligning the mind so there's more balance so we're not just focused on the negative but there's a there's a balance there and a genuine likability something that you really like especially with troublesome people especially with people who i can i can just see by their clothing i'm not going to like them you know i can see by the car they drive i'm not going to like them all the preconceived ideas let them go you know i really try and do this especially with troublesome folks because it is so easy to other people and dismiss human beings. We dismiss human beings based on uh, bogus criteria. We have deemed some people worthy and deemed other people unworthy. But it's not true. We're all human beings. 
We have deemed parts of nature unworthy and other parts worthy, but we forget we're all part of nature. We are nature. We are nature. We're not separate from. We're just different iterations of nature. We just look different from each other in different ways. We look different from trees and rocks, from different, different people, from different parts of the world. But we're the same and we're interconnected. So th it's not just about being um, shifting our perspective so that we feel better and, and cultivate that pleasant part of the mind, but it's really important so that we don't other and we can we we move towards that sense of connection and when we do that those parts of our mind are activated really important and then actually the most important part or the most difficult part of what rick invites us to do is find out what's likable about yourself that's usually the la 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 that we have a list of things we need to improve, but to shift the mind, it's so important. I used to, again, my human condition, I would be, I wouldn't be able to admit my 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 good qualities, my my traits. Even like I'm really organized and I can really get things done. I'm good with planning events and doing that kind of stuff, but I would I would self-deprecate constantly. And I, I wish I remembered what this guy said to me, this VP at this place. I was, I was working for him, and he said, you know, he gave me this huge compliment because I did this huge project. And I just kind of, you know, I'm the, if I can do it, anybody can do it kind of person, and that's not true. We have to acknowledge. It doesn't mean we're conceited. It, it's like being with what is, being with equanimity and balance. And so to find out what's likable about ourselves is so important. It's so important, you know. And we have to um, be willing to just make our way through the world with this intentionality. It's all about intentionality. You know, I, um, I often used to think this type of thing was cheating. It's cheating because that's not real. My mind's not doing that until I recognize the, condition, the conditioning of the mind. And how I was programmed. Not if somebody didn't have a book and sit down and program me. Like I'm having to do things in HTML right now. <coughs> but they, they pro, I was programmed by the, the world around me to believe things about myself, about others. And so I'm rewiring. And meditation helps us rewire the brain. It, the neuroscience is, is proving it. And it actually... What I love is it fits perfectly with the seven factors of awakening, which is mindfulness, paying attention, investigation. What's this? What is this? Oh, I'm stuck. I haven't. Wow, I'm just stuck on the negativity. Or wow, I'm stuck on these particular things. Or wow, look at this suffering I'm causing myself. Look at this, I'm trapped by anger. I'm trapped by fear. Without judgment, there's no judgment in this. It's just recognition of how we're caught up. And then effort, energy, bringing the energy to release what's not beneficial and move into what is beneficial. And then 
what happens with those for mindfulness and investigation and energy or effort you move into this place of joy and tranquility ease it doesn't mean we have to, it doesn't mean anything has changed necessarily but our relationship has changed that way we're not so dependent on outside sources for our happiness it's an internal shift my the world around me has barely budged in my lifetime but my relationship to it has changed 180 degrees absolutely maybe 167 degrees i still have a few degrees to go but it has shifted dramatically absolutely dramatically so to have that 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 joy that ease that comes that tranquility which leads to this collectedness of mind and equanimity so that the eight worldly winds don't knock us over, don't knock me over, much of the time. I can, I can hold what's going on with my husband with, with an expansiveness. And people are always saying, how are you doing? How are you doing? And I'm like, I'm taking care of myself. I'm... I'm saying no to a lot of things, which is not my go-to. I say yes all the time. But me saying no is a way to take care of myself. And so to find my way through, not saying, it, when, once he's over this, then things, it's like, no, how do I find that ease in this moment? How am I not so attached to, to outcomes or things? And so... That's this practice we have to pay attention. And, and I really love the find what's likable. Focus on the, you know, letting go of what doesn't serve. Focusing on what serves, the beneficial, you know. And that way I can be present with an open heart. Be present with an undefended heart. And connected. I'm connected. I, I talk, think I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um... I'm crying all the time now. Not like, but things bring, like I, what brought it home was when I was hiking a couple of weeks ago and this deer ran across the path and I was like, I mean, I felt like, oh, it's a deer. And I was just like, it was so sweet and lovely. And I was like, and I'm like, wow, I am, what's going on here? (laughs) There's some real, some, um, and I still do that stuff and and I'm not embarrassed by it it's just like wow there's a there's a connection there's a openness there's a vulnerability that's here that's really sweet and I'm really grateful for so it's a shift away from dukkha and towards connectivity you know and I um I invite you to investigate this for yourself what are you paying attention to you know what's what's the driver and can you let go of those things that, that, that cause um, uh, restlessness? And it's not, it's not that you start doing it and life gets wonderful. It's like you can hold the reality of the present moment with a, with, a, with a greater ease because we're not letting go of joy. Nobody gives up joy in the midst of this nonsense. It's, it's not a prerequisite. You can, when you can be in the moment with this mind that senses the good, that senses the the sweet spot, 
it's really it's really powerful and and goes a long way towards this freedom this liberation which is the message of the buddha he said i teach the nature of suffering and the end of suffering that's that's the path of liberation so um, as always, I invite you to find out what gets in the way and where you get stuck and just pick one thing or try it once a day. Find something likable in something that you thought was unlikable. And I, I maybe because I tend to be a glass half full person, it, it, it comes a little bit easier for me, but it wouldn't if I wasn't already working in this practice, working with this this paying attention and opening my horizons out past XYZ or ABC. So thank you, thank you, thank you, my friends. I really appreciate your uh, kind attention, and hopefully this has been of some benefit. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.